Maybe not. There it is. Yep. Okay. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for being the God who uh, is wise and good and faithful and true that we can trust, even though we struggle to trust and our own uh, fears and doubts uh, prevent us from truly enjoying you. Help us to um, uh, be able to understand from Scripture that this is a problem that you have dealt with in the past in your people and that you know how to deal with us to help us to follow you. Lord, make us more like yourself. Uh, Don't leave us um, where we were yesterday, but help us to grow closer to you each day. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so we're in Numbers 13. Um, Really, the first uh, section of Numbers is all about them getting ready uh, to, as an army, march into the promised land. And we are at that point right now. Uh, there's, uh, this is where Mount Sinai is. Uh, we don't, at least we think. So the Israelites had come down in this area and had camped here for really over a year. Uh, and then they are, right now, to Kadesh Barnea, right here. And this is at the bottom of the promised land. They're getting ready to come into the promised land from the south. Uh, so this is uh, probably of the stories in the book of Numbers this is one of the more famous ones so we're, we're familiar with this one so um, got a microphone back there Kyle just hand it to the labels, and they're good readers let's do uh, four of you do four verses apiece do like the first 16 verses of Numbers chapter 13 start with Andrea there is good but really any of them, just four and then pass the mic around and we'll follow along in our Bibles as well. So we're reading all of chapter 13? So we're doing 13, 1 through 16, so it's not the whole chapter yet. And these are hard names, so I figured I'd give it to you guys to handle them. So, From the tribe of Simeon, Shaphat, the son of Hori. From the tribe of Judah, Caleb, the son of Jephunan. From the tribe of Issachar, Iglah, the son of Joseph. From the tribe of Ephraim, Hoshea, the son of Nun. From the t- tribe of Benjamin, Palati, the son of Raphua. From the tribe of Zebulun, Gedeli, the son of Zadi. From the tribe of Joseph, that is, from the tribe of Manasseh, Gadi, the son of Sui, from the father, from the tribe of Dan. Emeli, the son of Gameli, from the tribe of Asher, Sethur, the son of Michael, from the tribe of Naphtali, Nabai of the son of Zophsai, the son of the, from the tribe of Gad, Guru, the son of Micah. The, these were the names of the men who Moses sent out to spy out the land. And Moses called Hosha, the son of Nun, Joshua. <clears throat> okay. So, we know that Israel, the people of Israel, have been called out of Egypt to be taken into the promised land, okay? We know that this is God's intent. He wants them to get to the promised land. That's the whole purpose of coming up out of Egypt. And uh, we, 
this is, this is like, this is not in question. This is not a doubt. It's not like, oh, uh, where are we going anyway? They all know they're supposed to go to the promised land. That's the whole point of being redeemed from Egypt. So why do they need spies to go into the land? That's the first question. Why? Why do we have spies? What do you guys think? So you said if they're enemies or? So it, it, they want to know their enemy? So, so know uh, that there is enemies, that there are enemies, that there are enemies. Okay? Huh? So maybe, maybe a plan to, um, for settlement? Morale booster. The land's actually a good place. You really want to get there. Any any other thoughts? Well, that's part of this. Like, I mean, he's this is the promised land. It's already good, right? Well, we know that they're not going to trust God. We get that. So, I know that's the whole point. It's not like they're just saying, "Okay, um, what do we?" He's telling him to go spy out the land. <laughs> okay. Okay. So they needed a strategy, maybe, of how to do this, how to go about it. It's interesting when they when they do forty years later go into the promised land. They don't even approach it from the south. They come in from the east this way, which is interesting that they don't even use the same approach. Um, So I'm just trying to, you know, you're just wrapping your mind around, um, there's practical concerns, but I think the, uh, the central reason why he wants them to, to spy out the land is to test them. So if you're blind, you don't know what you're facing, and you just say go, they might go, right? But by looking at what is there in the land, they know what they're up against, right? I mean, that's a, and God wants them to know what they're up against. Why would he want them to know what they're up against? Because it's the issue of, are your enemies bigger than me? Can you, am I big enough to provide for this, even though you have enemies that you're facing? Okay, um, I would argue that God wants them to feel fear. That's kind of an interesting thought. Go ahead, Mike. Right, and so I think that um, I think that what you're talking about and is really where most of the people have gone with this, like human strategy. This is what we want to do, but Numbers makes clear to us that God is the one who intended this. Like He wants them to do this, and that's like it is often in life with us. We have the the human way of looking at life, uh, you know pipes break on the morning that you're getting ready to go to church, you know, and you just have things that you're going on and they're just life, you know. But then if you flip it around and look at it from God's perspective, why does this happen in the way and in the timing that it happens? That's, that's the, the issue. Like, why is it that, that God has a plan for the spies to go in? It doesn't mean that there wasn't also a human reason for them to want to go, go in or even a human initiative. 
but God has his purposes. And that's what we're trying to see here. So why would God be okay with them going in and experiencing fear because of them going in? We're going to see that we know that that's going to happen, right? Well, I think it's because God doesn't want you to just take the easiest path in to the promised land. He wants you to experience fear and difficulty and then to trust, to overcome that fear by trusting in who he is, in his promises and his providence. Go ahead, Lee. That's exactly right. That he doesn't want them to enter the promised land based on their own abilities, based on their own strength, their own stratagems. He wants them to go into the promised land because they are trusting in him. And so in order to make that explicit, they need to actually see the enemies that they're going to face, and they need to fear those enemies and be made to to say, am I going to trust or not? That's the test. And God wants that. You know, why is life difficult? Why is it so hard to walk with God? Why is it so hard to keep your faith? Well, because that's the way God wants it to be. If he wanted it to be easier, he would have made it easier, right? And because God values faith more than their human greatness, more than their trust in themselves. That's what he values. Trust me in this. Um, that's, the, that's the point of life. At least while we're in this world, that's what makes a difference, right? That's, that's what we're, we, we're called to do is trust him. Okay, so why is it important that there is a spy from each tribe? That seems to be very uh, central to this. We went through a lot of names that we don't know anything about and we just want to skip over. But we need to have some kind of a question. Why would it be important that there would be spies from every tribe? All right, so there would be, there would be a, a, a representative to each tribe then to go back and report. Um, I think that's good. Excellent. Other reasons? What if there are only one spy in the land? Okay, right. So you you got to have multiple multiple witnesses to verify it. Uh, do you go ahead, Carrie? Good. It's one army. So even though that there are 12 tribes, they are one army and they rise and fall together. That's, a very, that's very important in this. Um, how many, we're going to see how many, you know this already from, you know the story, how many people bring back a good report? Two, right? Do you think that God has his purposes in that, not, not mathematically that there has to be a certain percentage, but do you think that there, it's, it's according to God's plan that he has worked in only two people and that there are ten negative reports and only two good reports? Do you think that's part of God's purpose? Right, right, because faith often is not going with the majority. Everybody's confident, we can do this, and you just kind of flow along with them. No, in order to actually do this, you're going to have to make a statement of faith. I'm going to trust the minority report, so to speak. Not going to ride with the majority. It's a pretty good lesson for us today, right? Um, How do they choose who will be the, the spies? God doesn't choose them here, does he? Yeah, so they are already some sort of a chief, some sort of a leader um, in their tribe. So they, they've got, um, you know, there's some question later on because these are probably chief leaders, but they're probably the younger ones. They're probably not, you know, the old wise leader, you know, so that they can have the ability to sneak into the land. 
Um, but they have, they are, they are lieutenants. They are leaders. Um, so, and it's interesting that of these 12, we only will remember Joshua and Caleb. We will not remember the other ones at all. So, what's that? <laughs> um, all right, let's keep reading then, uh, unless you have more questions. That's, I'm just trying to get us into the, the, the flow here. Yes. I don't, I don't understand the question necessarily. Maybe he's still, I don't know. I don't, I don't know the answer. Yeah, I don't know. Anybody have an answer to that? No, got another question? Go ahead. I think they're just making the connection between Hosea and Joshua that they're the same person, that you don't get confused with that. Um, go ahead, uh, Christian. Yeah, the princes, the same thing as chiefs. Right, so, uh, okay, in, I was told this week, we should make sure that we get the microphone to people, because when it's on the, uh, anybody who's listening doesn't hear any comments that, that he just made, but that's a great comment. Say that again, Christian. My question was that, uh, to me, a, a prince uh, is an experience, and is learning, and although a lot of them have great potential, they might not be able to see what a king sees. Right, and I, and I think you're absolutely right that these are, even though they're said chiefs or princes, they, they are probably the younger generation. They're not necessarily the old wizened ones. And it would just make sense. You wouldn't send your older, uh, less mobile people in to spy out the land, right? So, but they would have been less experienced. That's right. Why you see two to ten in there? The two probably are the ones that are gonna be good kings. <laughs> okay, let's keep going here. Thir- uh, Seventeen to twenty. Uh, Christian, why don't you give that to uh, Mike Labelle? He can read that for us. Moses sent them to spy out the land of Canaan and said to them, "Go up into the Negev, and go up into the hill country." And see what the land is, and whether the people who dwell in it are strong or weak, whether they are few or many, whether the land that they dwell in is good or bad, whether the cities that they dwell in are camps or strongholds, and whether the land is rich or poor, whether there, there are trees in it or not, be of good courage and bring some of the fruit of the land. Now the time was the season of the first ripe grapes. <clears throat> okay, so just little things here. The Negeb, so here they are at Kadesh Barnea. The Negeb is this southern region right here. Uh, but uh, the, the wording almost makes it sound like just go through the Negeb and just look at this area here. But um, we're going to see they're going to actually go all the way to the very top of the land, uh, the promised land. And I would just say that, you know, Moses is giving them instruction. He doesn't experientially know everything that's beyond the Negev, but he's telling him to go up into the land and search that out. Uh, um, They go through the whole promised land. What are they specifically told that they are to find out? Like, what is it that they're told to look for? It's a list, so just you can just say this. You don't need to, I'll repeat whatever you say. What's on the list? All right, so you need to, you do need to know your enemy, right? The, how strong is the enemy? So numbers, 
fortifications. Uh, you need to know uh, strongholds. You need to know the, the actual fruitfulness of the land. Right. Uh, the towns. Pretty extensive stuff, right? Anything else we're missing there? Yeah, are, are, the, are the people, not just the, the, the army, but are the people, uh, are they wealthy? Or is this a poverty-filled land? Um, yes? Isn't that interesting? Why trees? Um, they, they would indicate fruitfulness as well, possibly used in, in armies. I don't know. They use some of the stuff for uh, what they would use to fight against an army. I don't know. Oh, a sign of water. There you go. Spoken of a guy that works a lot with water. Thank you, Kyle. You can hide in the forest. There you go. Okay. They want samples, don't they? Yep. Um. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh, the topography of the land, yep. What kind of land, the topography of it? Is it hill country, is it valleys, is it, you know, all that kind of stuff, yep. Um, and uh, Moses is telling them, to be of good courage, I'm sure that's a, that is a command for them as they go, because being a spy is certainly risky business. Um, but I think it's also a foreshadow of what the people are supposed to do, right? They're supposed to be of good courage. You're not going to be a people of faith without also being a people of courage. They go hand in hand. So uh, being a person of faith doesn't mean that you have easy sailing, it doesn't mean that there's no fears and obstacles, but faith is what gives you the courage so that you can face all the difficulties. So that's, he's already uh, announcing that to them, that that's going to be a part of what they're called to do. So, all right, 21 to 25, let's keep going. Um, Nathan Graybill, you want to read him? So they went, <clears throat> excuse me, so they went up and explored the land from the desert of Zin as far as Rehob toward Lebo Hamath. They went up through the Negev and came to Hebron where Ahiman and Shishai and Talmai, the descendants of Anak, lived. Hebron had been built seven years before Zoan in Egypt. When they reached the valley of Eshkel, they cut off a branch bearing a single cluster of grapes. Two of them carried it on a pole between them. Along with that, some pomegranates and figs. That place was called the Valley of Eshkel because of the cluster of grapes the Israelites cut off there. At the end of the 40 days, they returned from exploring the land. Okay, so observations on this passage so far. What can we learn from the things that happened? They did what they were asked to do. Excellent. Yeah, they go in, they, they sustain themselves. I wonder if they just lived off the land, or maybe they even, you know, experienced some hospitality. I don't know if they did or not. Uh, huh? They stole some grapes? <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. Uh, but, you know, still, how did they get those? Did they steal them, or did somebody give them to them? Or it doesn't really say, does it? Um, pomegranates and figs. They always get uh, pushed out with the grapes, but <laughs> well, I mean, you, it's hard to go unnoticed completely. So you could, in that time, I mean, if there are spies in our land today, you might meet a spy, but you don't know they're a spy. So they could. It doesn't mean that they just went and hid the whole time. They traveled through the land probably as a visitor, you know, and just didn't let people know that they were actually spying out the land. Um, again, a little bit of deceit there, right? So, 
Thanks. I think it's interesting they know or learned about the history of Hebron. They know where some of the descendants of the people they knew lived and that it was founded before the Egyptian city. And so it's curious. They come to a place that's new to them, but they're like, there's some things I already they're connected to us some way. Yeah, and, and they probably figured some of this out probably by talking to people. Like, who are you? Where do you come from? And different things. And so they're, they're interacting with them. Okay, yes? If, I mean, since God told them that it was their promised land, if they yeah. came back with these goods, uh-huh. was it really steal? I mean, would it be stealing? Or <laughs> well, that's, would the, they... that's the age-old, you know, that's the difficulty in the Middle East today, right? You know, the, the Arabs say uh, that they took our land, you know, the Jews took our land. The Jews say, no, it was our land in the beginning, you know, God gave it to us. So it's, that's the, this is the, this is the, the beginnings of this. They might have bought it, that's right. They didn't have to steal it. That's a, excellent. They did have money for themselves. They didn't go into the land penniless, right? They would have been able to buy it, so good. Yeah. Um, okay, they're there for 40 days. And why is 40 days is typically a, a pattern of what in Scripture? A time of testing. You're going to see 40 days, and then you're going to see 40 years of the Israelites wandering in the wilderness. So that there's, this pattern is 40. It's not by accident that Jesus is tested in the wilderness for 40 days. I mean, all that is going to be a pattern that's going to be there. Um, all right, let's keep going. 26 to 33, and Gary, you can read. And they came to Moses and Aaron, to all the congregation of the people of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. And they brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. And they told him, we come to the land to which you sent us. It flows with milk and honey and this is its fruit. However, the people who dwell in the land are strong, and the cities are fortified and very large. And besides, we saw the descendants of Anak there, the Amalekites, dwell in the land of the Negeb. The Hittites, the Jebusites, and the Amorites dwell in the hill country, and the Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the Jordan. But Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and occupy it, for we are well able to overcome it. Then the men who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we are. So they brought to the people of Israel a bad report of the land that they had spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone to spy out is a land that devours its inhabitants and all the people that we saw in it are of great height. And there we saw the Nephrim, the sons of Anak, who came from Nephrim. And we seemed to ourselves like grasshoppers. And so we, as we, so we seemed to them. Okay, there we go. Now we're, now we're getting into it. What's, what are our observations now that we see here? Is the land good? Yes. Is really good. Okay. Oh, don't you love that? The whole idea of milk and honey. Um, milk being that the the animals. So you, see, you have. The animals are dependent upon the land, right? They need the vegetation of the land for them to thrive. So if you're getting plenty of milk off of the animals, that means there's plenty of pasture land. Honey, uh, you know, you got to have bees and you got to have, you know, you got the fruit trees and other things that are going and the bees are pollinating them. So there's lots of honey. So it's, it, that's why milk and honey, not to just that those are the only two things they cared about, but they're just showing you this, this fruitfulness of the land, both as a pasture land for animals and also its self-bearing fruit. So, okay. What else? Yeah, the people are strong. Big and strong. 
we would always say like Nebraska corn-fed boys up in the north. I don't know what you guys would say down here, but in the north, there are big, strong Nebraska corn-fed boys. So, Debbie, you're going to say something? Yeah, the cities are fortified. Lincoln County is where the big ones are. Okay, good. <laughs> They're big giants, yeah. Um, there's some connection with these people that are giants with Nephilim. So what do you get from Nephilim? Yes, Ken? I'd have to flip back, but isn't that what... what um we got when the uh, the when the angels met are mated with the daughters of men. Yes, all the way back in Genesis, you can turn back there. I think it's Genesis six. When man began to multiply in the face of the land and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of man were attractive and they took his, their wives, any they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit will not abide in man forever, for he is flesh. His days shall be 120 years. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days and afterward when the sons of God came into the daughters of man and they bore children. These were the mighty men who were of old, the mighty men of renown. Um, I don't want to go too much in this. I'll just do this very quickly, uh, and you can. I'll give Kent a chance in a moment. Um, so you have uh, Nephilim before the flood, and they are uh, strong there, uh, mighty men of old. And now we have, in numbers, we have Nephilim again, but this is after the flood, obviously, long after the flood. Um, in Genesis, we talked about, you know, at least my position is that this is not a product of angels and humans having sex and having some kind of half race of people. I don't take that view. I take it that these are actually just really, really strong men who are of the Lord and then others who are not. And so there's this uh, confusion of, of the holy race. But anyway, they're strong in the Old Testament and they're big. Uh, I mean, before the flood, these are equated because they are both strong and big. But they can't be genetically the same people. Why not? Flood destroyed them all, right? So, yeah, so they're not the, so the fact that they're called Nephilim, and we're later going to get to uh, David and Goliath, you're going to see a nine-foot-tall person in Goliath and those kind of things, they, they are um, they're big people for whatever reason. They're giants, you know, uh, but they're just humans, uh, that are going on. So I don't want to go too much into that unless you got a very specific question. Right. Yeah. And that's, that's also, um, genealogies in, in, um, uh, the book of Genesis, the Anakites. So, okay. Uh, the main issue and not to, not to really, this is not the main issue. The main issue is that they are facing people that are bigger than them. That's the issue. There are really strong people there, and they are fortified, and they are uh, not a force that would be easy to overcome. Now, my question to you again, God could have done all sorts of things to make this not this way. Could he not have sent a, a plague into the land and wiped out their army? He's done this in times past. He can do, you know, in times future, he, he can do that. But God doesn't. It seems to be that the land is actually experiencing a, a time of prosperity, and therefore the people are prospering very well, and they're very strong at this time. Why do you think God might want that to be? To test his people. And, and so the, the immediate is to test the hearts of his people. The, the big picture plan is to show how great he is. 
because he can overcome the strong enemies. He's not the God that can only defeat the little problems. And this is a challenge for me as we go into a period in America where I think the problems are bigger and stronger and more difficult. Uh, to see blessing in somebody's life, to see them actually move from, some, from you know, a really uh, messed up sinful life over to a life that is uh, moving towards glory, that's a hard thing. It's not easy. But then I have to ask myself, is the gospel only for people that kind of have their life all together and they have a little hill to jump over, or is it for the people that are facing big problems? Right? And, of course, the answer is for those who place in big problems. And I think God says, okay, let's make the problem big so you'll understand that I'm a big God. That's, that's my thinking in there. Also, uh, I would bring to, to mind that a lot of what's going on is a true um, assessment, right? The people are really big. And, uh, but some of what's going on has to do with perspective, So most of the people, uh, the, the spies that come back, say, we seemed to ourselves like grasshoppers. So what is that telling you? Inferiority, <laughs> Inferiority you know. But actually, there is, um, it's kind of like David and Goliath, right? So David is, is smaller than Goliath. What gives David his courage? Ignoring it, saying, no, I am greater than Goliath. No, his, his courage comes from the fact that even though the enemy that is facing is bigger than him, his God who fights with him is bigger than the enemy. That's the, that's the lesson that they're trying to, to get across. And I would say the same thing is true for us. As you face your struggles, as you go through trying to figure out your life and try to overcome the demons and the struggles in your life, it is not your strength that is the issue. You seem to yourself like you're smaller than your enemy but you are uh, able to conquer because you have a perspective that your God actually fights with you and for you. Yes, Ken. When Caleb is disputing with the rest of them, he says, let us go up at once and occupy it, for we are well able to overcome it. Mm -hmm. I read that, I wish he had said, yeah, we're little, but our God is bigger. Mm -hmm. And he doesn't say that. Yeah. Um, I yeah. kind of wish he had said the other more clearly. And, and Caleb is a man of faith, but he probably even, uh, um, he probably is a product of his youth as well. And he's, he's, there's a little rashness there, kind of like David says to the army, what's your problem? How come you can't fight Goliath, you know? And only later does David have a little bit more maturity of understanding that there are enemies that he's facing that are beating him as well. Um, he has to deal with his own sin. So maybe Caleb's a little bit... Uh, over-exuberant, maybe doesn't make it as clear as he could, but obviously I think Caleb is presented to us as the man of faith here. So it's not that he's just trusting in himself. So, yes, Susan. Uh, could you speak to verse 32 a little bit? Because this is the land devouring the people, or is not sure what that means. Well, they're just basically saying, um, they're, so they, they initially give a report that the land is good. So that's, but at the same time, they're trying, they're, they're not just saying we're afraid that we can take it. They want to actually convince the congregation that it is not a good idea to go into the land. And so they're, I think, being deceitful here. And t Yeah, they're telling, oh, the land, it, it just takes its inhabitants. So if we go in there, it's not going to be a good thing. Now, you think, oh, that's really silly. They just said it's a good land. But I'm going to do a theological jump here. Uh, do we not do the same thing about heaven? Like, oh, heaven's great, heaven's great. But it's going to like, it's going to devour me and my individuality and I have to give up my sin and, you know, <laughs> oh, that's not a good place, not a good place. Better to be in hell and be able to do what you want to do than to be in heaven and give up who you are. Um, so that's a little bit of theologizing, stressing, but I think that that's the, what's happened. You, you have to in some way minimize or make ugly the, the, the beauty of the land in order to discourage people from going into it. And I think Satan does that to us all the time, especially to the unbelieving world. He's telling them, heaven's not worth it. Heaven's not worth the sacrifices you have. Heaven's not worth all this. You should just do something else. Go back to the, 
go back to Egypt is what they're eventually going to say. So it's a lie. But we face these lies every day. And God, this is the, what I'm, as I've read this uh, multiple times, God is like, he's okay with all this happening. Like he, he wants this all to happen. Obviously, he'd want everybody to trust him and walk with him, but he's setting up the whole thing. He didn't have to. He could have, he could have handpicked 12 Caleb's if he wanted to. He didn't do that. You know, he could have said, let me, let me choose your men, and they'll all give you a good... He wants the test to be there, and that's true of our own lives as well, right? You're going to have people discouraging you uh, from walking into the promised land, and you're going to have some voices saying, no, pursue this. They're not random people. That's a good point, Mike. It's not just the riffraff that we talked about in weeks past. These are the leaders that are saying this. Yeah. <clears throat> okay, so let's, let's look at the next chapter. It's hard to look at this chapter without looking at the next one. Verses 1 to 4. Um, Mary Dunn, would you read those for me, please? Then all the congregation raised a loud cry, and the people wept that night. And all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation said to them, Would that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would that we had died in this wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become a prey. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to one another, Let us choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Oh boy. Here we go. Um, who's doing the complaining? Benjamin, who's doing the complaining? Yeah, people, the whole congregation. So it's not just a um, portion of it. The whole congregation uh, is, is doing this. Um, what is it that drives these people to weeping? They are weeping. They are sad. This is uh, emotionally trying for them. What is it that's... Moving them to that point. Huh? That's, there it is. God has slash will fail us. Think about that. And does it, do they say, um, almost like a, a natural... Concern for who? Yeah, kids, wives. So we need to do the cautious thing. We need to do the conservative thing. We need to we need to be you know back down on this because we love our kids. Not an interesting concept. Uh, because following God has it does put you at risk. Period. Oh, yeah. And see, I hope, I hope that as we go through this, that I do a good job of trying to tell you, you are these people. It's not just, oh, how stupid could they be? And we have it all together. We struggle with the same struggle. Um, Rationalizing, explain that. Yeah, yeah, it's, it, it, it actually, it makes, it makes sense apart from trusting God. And that's, it is a type of rationalization. Go ahead, Christian. I, I was going to say that um, we sometimes are worse than they are. <laughs> well, number one, we have a lot more truth than they did. I was going to say that we can look back at the scripture and say, like, wow, God showed up and God showed up, God showed up, and we still, like, are worse than they are yes. having all this knowledge and don't even. So, on the one hand, there's a greater guilt because you have greater truth. And you should, as a Christian today, feel on one level worse because you've had more truth and you still act the same way. At the same time, I want to also step you back and say, the big picture is, 
If God was able to handle unbelief and doubting and fears back then, do you think he can handle it in you today? So, that, so there's a confidence that can be there too, right? So, um, yes. Now, who has not at some point in your life felt like God has failed you? Right? Maybe you've trusted him for something. Maybe you overcome some sin and it didn't immediately happen. Or maybe it was you were praying for your loved one and they still died. Or, you know, at some level you feel like God has failed you. <laughs> the elections, whatever you're trusting God for, God can fail us. At least it seems like that in their minds. And so that's what they're, they're uh, experiencing. And they are weeping over this. This is emotionally trying for them. It's not something that is, oh, yeah, yeah, I don't think we want that pass. You know, they're really hurt and broken in this, okay? Why do they think even think Egypt would take them back? And that's a good question. Um, uh, but this is what sin does to us. On the one hand, you're trying to be rational, but on the other hand, you're being irrational. That's, that's what sin does. You're, 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 oh, this makes sense. I can't do that. No, I, can't. I just can't do that. You know. And then you're like, before long, you're being absolutely not making any sense at all. And then only, only years after you've been through that cycle do you look back at your life and go, what was I thinking? But in the moment, you can't think that way. You just think this makes sense. Um, I, I could be wrong, but it seems interesting to me that nowhere does it mention anybody standing up and saying, hey, look, you know, we've had 40 years and God took us through and he fed us in our shoe leather. What? Well, this wasn't 40 years. This oh, is only a year. But he parted the Red Sea. He did part the Red so Sea. He's he defeated done stuff and nobody's paying attention to yeah, that. Yeah, the, the, the plagues of Egypt, all that kind of stuff, yes. Carrie? Whatever's lovely, whatever's right, whatever's of good report, think of such things. Mm -hmm. So the leaders come back and give a report, and I took note of that night all the people started to wail, meaning what went through the leadership spread to the people. They concocted those crazy ideas that Gary made mention. We'll go back to Egypt. So they weren't self-controlled. They weren't disciplined in their mind. They caved to feelings. Uh -huh. And, you know, just that we, that something we have to be, you know, that can, that can hit us easily to, yes. to be self-disciplined at that. Because we will experience testing, God said. We will experience suffering. And it always comes in totally different forms than the last time. And it, at some point, it's like we have to not give into that fear. And Absolutely. So, so the fear, a lot of times we think, okay, I'm fearing something. So the only thing I can do is run from it. And, and I think that God is stating, because of your faith, have courage to face your fear. I think is the, the go ahead. And I do think it's important to remember these people are facing war and a violent war with people that are massive and they don't have guns. They have, you know, maybe bow and arrows and, and swords <laughs> and that's how they're taking them on. So that, that would be a lot of stress and wear on your mind. <laughs> Like, again, I'm with you. I, I, this, is, this is big. This is hard. This is um, not, and I think if we don't feel that, we don't really identify with them. We just sit in judgment over them, but we don't actually identify with them. And I think the Bible wants us to identify with them. Now, another interesting thing. Do they actually say that they are going to leave Yahweh? No, they don't. But who do they need to get rid of? Yeah, let us choose another leader. We don't like the guy. He's, he's obviously not. Remember, we've already had problems with Moses anyway, right? They rebelled kind of against Moses. And they're going to do it again in the next chapter. But they, they, they're equating. They're actually rebelling against God. But they couch it in rebelling against Moses. This happens a lot as well. Very rarely do you run into contact with someone else or in your own heart the admission that I'm actually rebelling against God. I just don't like what so-and-so is saying. 
And thus we have 47,000 different types of churches because we don't like what that church says, but we'll start our own church because we're still following God, right? I mean, that's, the, that's not the only reason why there's different churches, but, but one reason is we don't want to deal with the fact that we are the problem. It's our rebellion that's going on. And so they, they, uh, they decide we're going to choose another leader. And we, again, remember we're trying to show the difference between uh, what I call like legit groaning, which, is, which happens all the time and it's not a bad thing, and uh, bad grumbling which is terrible, and God hates it, and he's opposed to it. Well, this shows us what it is, because they're not just saying, oh my goodness, I'm scared to death, Lord, how can we beat these guys? But you say, "Let's just help us, help us, help us. No, they're like, okay, that's stupid, we can't do that, let's choose another leader, let's go the other way. You know, they're, they're actually stating it would have been better if we had died in Egypt. So you can see that, again, this is not just the normal dealing with fears that we always have to struggle with. Yes, Ken? When you mentioned that when we're looking at this, we're looking at ourselves, that's so true because when we are rationalizing, we are being irrational because we're not looking at the truth in ourselves or anybody else. Mm -hmm. We're deflecting. We do all of those things to um, blame others or whatever it is that's you know the reason for what we're doing, which is sensible. That's really what it is. That seems to be a, a human element and just about everybody, Christians or non-Christians, mm -hmm. we fall into that, um, that trap. It's, it's, it's the what I wage war with in my own soul. It's, it is a, to try to present to you like, oh, <laughs> I'm beyond the struggle of the, the uh, Israelites at this point. No, I, I struggle in my own soul. Lord, if you're going to make walking with you this difficult, and it's going to be I'm going to have to face these giants in my life, Maybe it would have been better if I wasn't a Christian. And it is easy, isn't it, to just fall back and just uh, just give it up. Um, they are rejecting the covenant promises. And I will tell you that faith is not just something that's at the beginning of your Christian life and a momentary thing, but it is life all, is faith all the way to the end. And I would say that, you know, uh, Bill, you're dealing with some issues of faith even now. You've got the benefit of having walked with God for 60 years. I don't know how long, but a long time. And that's, that's good, you know, but you still have issues that you need to trust God with today. And fears that you face and challenges and uh, to think that, oh, they don't deal with it anymore. It's just for Bridget. You know, you're dealing with it, but not the, you know, they've been fighting with it and still fighting with it to this day. So, uh, okay, we've got a little bit more time. Five to nine. Let's have, uh, oh, where's our microphone? They're right there. Okay, Ken, you want to read? Five to nine. Yeah. Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all the assembly of the congregation of the children of Israel. But Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes. And they spoke to all the congregation of the children of Israel, saying, The land we pass through to spy out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, then he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land which flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord, nor fear the people of the land, for they are our bread. Their protection, uh, protection has departed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. Okay, John Avery, let me ask you specifically. You don't say a whole lot. So um, why do they tear their clothes here? Uh, it's usually a scripture sign of great grief and mourning. Uh -huh. So it's great grief and mourning. So. Give him the microphone. I'm going to ask him further up questions. So they're upset. But what are they upset at, John? Well, that the people have uh, rejected uh, God is what it's going to boil down to. But the, the uh, report of the spies, the majority report has been accepted. And, and their report, or Caleb, or Joshua, has been rejected. And they're um, just 
very upset over that. And ultimately, they're not trusting in, in God's promises. So good. So they see the rebellion for what it is. So that, that drives them sad, right? They lose. They fought to take the big, uh, the, the battle of, of the whole nation and put it into them. They were probably pleading with God, convince the people, help them to believe our report. We have the truth. And they lost. Wouldn't that cause you to, I mean, you're, 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 you're frustrated that people are, go, uh, the uh, events are swinging away from what they should be swinging. And we're going to find out that they are going to, those two guys are going to suffer the fate of the rest of the people of Israel. So they're going to miss, and I know that they're the, they're the ones that go into the promised land later, but it's 40 years later. So they get to experience 40 years of it being in the wilderness because the rest of the people didn't have the faith that they had. Because we're one people. Oh, how nice it might be to our minds to think, oh, forget the church. Bunch of lame people in the church. I'm just going to go be my own thing and do God and me. That's all that matters. He's going to take me up to heaven. Oh, thankful that, that Caleb and Joshua don't do that. They live and die with the rest of the people. They care about the church. And we should care about the church as well. Not just our own salvation, but the church as a whole. Um, now, they, they, um, they do not deny the obstacles, right? They don't say, oh, the obstacles are not there. But they rest in their trust in the Lord. But I find it interesting they trust that the Lord delights in them. Ooh. Oh, my goodness. How often do you, in your fear, think God must hate me? And once you start going down that road of God must hate me, you are not going to trust God. You're not going to walk with him. You have to believe, and I know that those of us on this side of the cross understand that God delights in us because of the sacrifice of Christ. But somehow... Uh, Caleb understood this, like, God, if you're delighting in us, if you're actually happy with us, and I don't know how that can actually be, but if you are, then these enemies mean nothing to us because you're fighting with us, not against us. Um, and that's, that's, the, that's faith. Well, that's hard to do when you know that you're a sinner. How can God be for Kevin? How can he be for Coleman? How can he be for Debbie? Right? Only in Christ. Right? But he delights in you, and if he delights in you, then he will fight with you to overcome your enemies. Yes, Ken? Everybody else died uh, <laughs> before they got there. Mm-hmm. So they, they had the longest time of, in the desert of anybody so so the the two with faith got the most suffering very true so we are in the midst of this so um to me the story gets better so everything that we've set up this week it gets better in that it's more unbelievable all the things that happen it's not really better because they don't obey but um so hopefully you'll keep this in mind and read ahead and be ready for next week as we finish numbers 14 and and move forward so Father, thank you so much that you are the God who understands rebellion, even in your own people. And Lord, I freely admit to you that my heart does often choose to obey feelings rather than have courage and faith. Um, I doubt your goodness and your faithfulness to overcome every enemy. Um, Help us, Lord. Help us, uh, help each one of us. I know that that struggle is not just mine, but it's in some way the struggle of each one of us. And I do pray that you would help us to live by faith and that you would prove yourself to be big and strong and more mighty than our enemies. In Jesus' name, amen.